The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show and the summer of 93 at 30 series. It's the summer of 93 at 30. Which is where we take a weekend by weekend look at movies released during the summer of 1993. Returning, as always for this, we have from The Wrap, Scott Mendelson. The audio just cut out? No. You're fine. Oh. You're wa- you wave at people on an audio podcast, so it's it's fun. <laughs> you t- the Scott Mentals Mendelson introduction is a YouTube exclusive. That's, that's a- <laughs> oh, always All a right. pleasure. Glad to be back. All right, and the guy who writes for two sites with W's, one one with a V. Sometimes he's part of the HCA and the O N W A A A. Aaron Newworth. Hi. That was a Scott impression right there. You can hear this. <laughs> oh, boy. We're back. Today, we're discussing the weekend that was June 4th through 6th of 1993. This is our second month, and we're discussing four classics of all That's time. That's a lie. Uh, yeah. But what isn't a lie... It's always the news, Scott, which is how we start things. When I wake up, don't you know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you. Dan Rather, Connie Chung, the CBS Evening News, team to cover your world. This is CBS. So this week in 1993, on June 1st, Connie Chung joins Dan Rather as the the anchors of CBS Evening News. Yay. Yeah. Uh, also that night, uh, Phoenix Suns guard Dan Marley sets a then-NBA playoff record by sinking eight three-pointers during the Suns' 121-114 win over Seattle, the Supersonics, a team that doesn't exist anymore, in Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. Also that day, uh, Guatemala President Jorge Serrano is overthrown by his army as Dan Marley swishes threes. Goodbye, Jorge Serrano. Wow. You're no longer <laughs> leading our army, and Connie Chung was there to tell us about it. That's June 1st. On June 3rd, the hey. six, at the 66th, 66th National Spelling Bee, Jeff Hooper wins by spelling kamikaze. Scott, spell kamikaze. No. K A M I K A C. Aaron gets K A M I K A Z E. No points for second place, Scott. Yeah. Fuck. You just copied Aaron. <laughs> I was also cheating. There yeah, we go. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, on June 5th, uh, the French Open Women's Tennis, Germany's Steffi Graf 
wins her third of six French singles titles, beating Mary Jo Fernandez of the U.S. four to six, six to two, and six to four. And then on June sixth at the forty seventh annual Tony Awards, Angels in America and Kiss of the Spider Woman win. Huh. Boom! Yes, Kushner forgot, in I the house. They made a play of Kiss of the Spider Woman, unless it was a play first, and I didn't remember. I know Raul Julia and William Hart were in the movie. Right. I think uh, I won an Oscar for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hurt, that was. Hurt did, yeah. Yep, Hurt did. So. The big Hurt. That's what they called it. That's. Everybody hey. hurts. That was a popular Come baseball William. player at the time, too. Frank I'm Thomas. Yeah. I know Frank Thomas, but that. And speaking of big Hurts and baseball, uh, our deaths this week were Johnny Mize, a baseball player. Bob Fitzsimmons, a DJ, Conway Twitty, hmm. uh, yeah, the country artist, uh, James Bridges, a writer oh. and director, uh, and then uh, birthday-wise this week, Otto Porter Jr., uh, NBA player, uh, Early James, who's a singer-songwriter, and oh, I'm going to sink us down on about it. Brianna Taylor was born uh, this oh. day in thanks this week in 1993. <laughs> So, yeah, it's probably the person who made the biggest difference in the summer. Fortunately, five and a half, three and a half months in the future, that problem no longer exists. Right, future Aaron and Brandon? Mm, no. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that was Maybe the fast X solves racism. What was that? Maybe <laughs> fast X will solve racism. Access. <laughs> fast X? Fast yeah. X. Oh, it, that's it, quite possible. This is out, and, and that movie will have like cleaned up at the box office. Right. This point. But, uh, but then after that, Vin starts giving speeches around the world, <laughs> preaching about how this movie was made in honor of uh, the horrible tragedies that have yeah. gone on and how he just wants the world to unite, and this is the movie to do it. Vin and hologram Paul Walker will do be. <laughs> We're going to hell. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, the, the, but, the, the Furious Seven song plays. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm uh, going to cry again. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, save those tears, Scott. Uh, we're going to move to our first uh, film of the week, which is a re-release, which was re-released in Chicago this weekend. Nothing but a man. Um, Brandon, you should have said, speaking of racism, we're yeah, moving oh on. <laughs> <laughs> you know... It was implied. <laughs> At first, it was real strange. <laughs> Japan's a long ways from Alabama. Really got under my skin, though. Almost didn't come back. Why did you? I don't know. Guess I belong here more than there. Been up north? Yeah, I knocked around a couple of months after the army. You been there? No. Well, it ain't that good up there, neither. Might as well make it here. Of course, I ain't really making it now. Anyway, it can't get to you if you keep moving. <laughs> oh, so uh, this 1964 film was directed by Michael Romer, written by Michael Romer, 
Robert M. Young, and starring Ivan Dixon, Abby Lincoln, Julius Harris, Gloria Foster, and the cinematic debut of Yafet Kodo. A black man and his high school teacher wife face discriminatory challenges in 1960s America. This is a black... I've never seen this movie. I don't think I'd even heard of it before uh, doing my research for what was released. And uh, it's one of those one theater re-releases... Um, maybe I've just been one screening or something, but it was it was noted in multiple places. And I looked at what the film was and I was like, no, we're talking about this one. Um, I, I want to see it. Um, it's curious. Uh, but checked it out. But uh, Aaron, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I would assume it's like when they put like, I don't know, the conversation back in theaters like a few months ago or any number. The conformist was just in theaters a few mm-hmm. months ago. It's like things like that where it's like, yeah, the Rialto is playing this. It's like, OK, great. I'd be happy to go there, right? <laughs> if I could, uh, but yeah, um, this movie, uh, I also similarly did not know of it. Uh, even if I, I, I heard of it in passing, it certainly wasn't on my mind. Um, but just seeing the basic premise, and I was going in being like, I'm probably going to like this because it's the kind of movie that I can flock towards. As far as hey, there's going to be a story of. Uh, racial tumultuousness uh relationship drama involving people in the south um the kind of scenes where black guy does something then like a group of white people drive up and they start talking it's like i know where this is going um and it's the kind of thing where it's like yes it's angering and frustrating as far as this stuff happens and still does happen but it's also like compelling drama to watch um and that's what i got like i think the movie throughout um despite it having this sort of you know kind of low budget feel because that's what it is, you know, given the parameter, even given the, the means available mm-hmm. to make a movie like this, it, it, uh, it has a low fi quality to it. But it, doesn't, it doesn't take away from what I think are some pretty strong performances um, contained throughout. Um, and it even has a sort of kind of a docu feel like it's not a documentary, obviously, but it certainly has the kind of the way it's shot. Um, it's not too dissimilar from other films that were kind of like breaking the mold from kind of standard drama or drama from like the fifties time or whatnot and moving forward in its own way. So it has a sort of naturalism to how it's being, you know, uh, thrown on the screen. Yeah, no, I, I, you, you talked about it. It's just a good drama. I, I mm-hmm. enjoy it. Scott, this one had not been on my radar before, but I quite enjoyed it. You know, very well acted. It was a hoot initially to see Yafet Kahlo. I wonder if that was his first. Yes, it's his first movie, Meat. Other than that, it's just a very compelling character study. And it feels, I don't want to say definitive because that's too strong of a word, but it feels like a definitive portrait of that era. And frankly, you know, relatively working poor Black America. Ironically, the director who came from Germany, he was Jewish. He basically based the story on his own family's inability to support themselves during the rise of Nazism. So it was basically just transporting one for another and mm-hmm. it's pretty seamless. Yay, I think. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I can imagine it was a relatively groundbreaking picture in 1964, or at least something that was an, you know, sort of a gateway drug to more, even more experimental cinema of the emerging new wave, blah, blah, blah era. That being said, I think the biggest thing that shocked me about the film is that it almost has a happy ending. Mm -hmm. As silly as that may sound, I was expecting to be, you know, 
metaphorically kicked in the nuts right at the end. And that frankly doesn't happen. It ends with a very character specific place of, uh, you know, an, an arc that makes sense for a measure of happiness and a measure of growth and a measure of hope. Realistic it's for sure, but not the seventies, Scott. So yeah, I didn't. What was that? It's still the sixties and not the seventies. So it didn't need to be. <laughs> the end of it. Nonetheless. And it, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's very crisply. I didn't mind the budgetary limitations because it's it, it didn't feel restrictive in terms of its narrative or or you know it's funny we're talking about a low budget film in nineteen what sixty four it's like like well at least I don't have to count the locations you know, yeah. I don't have to count this you know, number of speaking roles because there's too many you know there's enough it feels like a movie but yeah it's 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 very good I'm glad we got to see it sixty years after the fact yeah. I, like I like like you too. I I really like this. This was compelling from many angles. That not just the racism angle. There was like an anti-unionism, yeah, uh, yeah. angle with the work stuff. There was uh, some religious stuff in here as well. And then there's the uh, the kind of I like the parallel nature of the father-in-law and him of you know like just kind of like going with the flow to get by and make life a little simpler or making life. You know, taking a stand for yourself and getting the life you should have and want that kind of battle went through. I, I like that a lot. Uh, you know, you have your typical I this I, I believe boy is said a lot in this movie. Yeah. Like I was just like, whoo, well, I, I, I'm sure, you know, they, <laughs> there are other words, but they're like, let's just stick with that one. Let's just, you know, kind of make this, I don't know, safe in a way with that. Uh, but I got a real, and this is precedes it by like seven years, but I got a real last picture show vibe from like a lot of this. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and, and not only its look, but it kind of kind of rolls the opposite way where that one's the end of times. Our, our lead character feels like he's planting seeds for a better tomorrow there by being his tough guy and his, and his uh, you know, wife that stands by him through it. I mean, this guy, this, poor guy like because of just standing up for himself doing kind of what's right and looking out for his you know fellow man like loses jobs loses opportunity like it's you know he gets knocked down constantly or you know a lot of headbutting and stuff but you know he gets through there and uh, this this feels ripe for like a criterion release with some essays and some look like people talking about it and i like i want to know more about this film um, it feels, yeah, yeah. especially like, and that's the thing. Another one thing I wanted to speak to. That I was just thinking about it. The 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 role of black culture in the film and the balance that it has, as far as having a man who is trying. He, he's he has conflicting views about family. Like that's a big part of his whole journey here. Mm-hmm. The the idea of him finding someone that he's in love with, but he has a father, and the father is this kind of. He's he's made himself fairly amenable to white people. Um, where and it just it it, it bug it gets it gets at him as far as like <laughs> trying to trying to like prove himself for this guy, trying to make himself be the man he wants to be for his wife, which means giving up on certain other opportunities or just you know uh, involving the union server whatever. Like there's there's a lot of different angles being played as far as what it's like to be a black man at this time in this area of the of the country. Mm-hmm. And a criterion release for this movie, I you know that could be a part of a whole box set I imagine of other movies that even right. many we probably haven't even heard of, but others that I'm certainly aware of that do explore that that do have interesting angles to take as far as what the time was 
uh, you know, in this area for these kind of lives or what have you. And at the yeah, I, I I'd love to see for one thing remastered versions of these kind of movies because they're so you know they're not they're not available. Like we had to watch this on YouTube. Like right, not, yeah. That's there's a DVD that's out of print that goes for like fifty dollars. Just the preservation aspect alone would make it worthwhile. But mm-hmm. you know, it, it's. It's it's just it's the kind of fascinating thing to be, which like like you said, as far as like getting interviews and stuff, just to kind of have further reflection on those times. Yeah, someone knows more about this. Some scholar knows more about this movie than what we have available now that just hasn't spoken, or we don't know the book where it's uh, mentioned at. Like that's kind of what it is. And it, I mean, this photography looks pretty pretty rich too. And like I said in that last picture show kind of way, which that turned out to be a good looking 4K Ultra HD. Um, but uh, yeah, th- th- there's so there's a lot here, and yeah, like you said, like this would be the perfect complement to some sort of box set as well. That'd probably strengthen it too. But yeah, this is a forgotten film that needs brought back up for sure. Like it's good drama, like certainly. Hell, Denzel Washington that kind of reminded him of August Wilson, and then he'll look into it. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing, and and Brandon mentioned this, and and I didn't so. Watching the film, I thought, okay, I can see a film like this being remade or rediscovered or whatever you want to call it, except the the union angle is specific enough to something that we don't see much of today that that almost felt more trailblazing, you know, by today's standards than the, the, the matter of fact, look at institutional racism in a certain Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's. He is allowed to be a flawed and, and troubled character with his own issues that are also intermingled with the societal prejudices and stumbling blocks, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's he's a very specific human being with a very specific past and or feelings about his future that I find. You know, it you know obviously one can view this in the more generic prism of you know, a you know a, a an important film of its era, but it just has a very specific character study as well. Yeah. Um, and I was quite taken by it. Yeah, he's got yeah he's got a, he's got like a a son he's kind of estranged from too. Not so much estranged, but like he's got a ex that's a bit crazy. Uh, but yeah, so he has his own father who's his, like yeah. There's it's some interesting complexities to his life. Um, and Scott, you're not wrong as far as saying he's not, they're not afraid to make him like unlikable either in certain instances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's certainly driven by various means, but regardless, you still have a lead character that does things that, yeah, aren't the best at times. Um, so it's, uh, and, you know, like 90 minutes, and even for a story like this, it moved quick. Like mm-hmm. I watched this thing, I was like, oh man, we're just humming along here for a movie that's dabbling with stuff that just is designed to make you uncomfortable to some degree. Yeah, I mean, you could pack this punch in 90 minutes. You don't need three hours, two and a half. Like, there's back in the day, they could do it. They could they could make yeah. it without having to be a five-part or eight-episode season of something. Like, you could... Well, yeah, that's, I mean, the, a movie that came to mind, not, not for you, it's not a one-to-one, but like Killer of Sheep, that movie's like 80 minutes, and that's a yeah. fucking classic. <laughs> I mean, so it's... Yeah, it's definitely possible for sure. Yeah, without spelling everything out, with good visual language and such, it's it's great. You don't yeah. always have to spell it out, but when you do, it's K A M K I Z. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for those interested, like there's 
you know, to watch this at the time where we're recording, it was available on YouTube and then like, just type it in, you'll find it. And then, uh, flicks or whatever, F L I X something, uh, has it on their app, but it's, those are the only kind of places it's, it's available. Um, but yeah, it's a definite recommend for sure. I've got no segue out of there, so we'll just move on to the uh, Nielsen ratings for the week. The World Music Awards have been held here in Monte Carlo for the past four years. The spectacular scenery, the romance of the Mediterranean, and the mystique of royalty makes this award ceremony something really different. So coming in at number one this week, this is a uh, wildly... Uh, so this is a weird top ten this week. We have number one, 60 Minutes on CBS takes it. Uh, tying at number two... Home Improvement and Roseanne on ABC. So everybody just sat and watched that hour. And then number four, the NBA Eastern Conference Finals Game 5 between the Bulls and the Knicks. And uh, number five was the NBA Eastern Conference Finals Game 6 of the Bulls and the Knicks. And number six, Coach on ABC. Goes with the sports. Uh, Number seven, another tie uh, between Murder, She Wrote on CBS and... Police Academy 6 on ABC. City under siege. City under siege. <laughs> oh. And that movie's then, the fucking dark night of Police Academy movies, let me oh, tell you. Oh, it is. I'm glad that there's box office stats and making sure to know the subtitles for each Police Academy movie. That's what Scott specializes in. That does it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come uh, on. You know them all. Quick, what's part four? I don't know because I don't know. That's care. the one where Mahoney <laughs> leaves. That's the hot air balloon run where Mahoney yes. leaves, right? All right. That's not a title. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that is. Well, five, of course, is assignment Miami Beats. That's the classic one. Well, and then there's seven uh, is Mission to Moscow. Moscow yeah, Mission to Moscow is the one. Oh, like, what, well, you got, you're like all over the place. Is it like, two, the first like assignment? First yes. Please That's the joke. Please. Like, what's yeah. four? What is it? What's four? Oh, he's looking it up. Oh, Mr. Police Academy experts looking it up. <laughs> that was the one that I couldn't remember. It was uh, citizens, uh, citizens on patrol. Oh, okay. two is the first assignment. Three is back in training. That's yeah, one where Bobcat Goldway becomes a good guy. Um, yeah, he he get they they fast and furious the franchise with him. Yeah, buddy. pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Bobcat. Then, you know, Tom Cruise Jason, saw the Jason, first the one. Jason Statham of the Police Academy franchise. <laughs> 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 then Jason, you know, Tom Cruise saw the first one and thinking, what if we did this with fighter pilots? Huh. just might work. Oh, boy. Yeah, those movies. Um, Isn't it wild that there's not a legacy sequel to Police Academy yet? It's yeah, weird, actually. Isn't it weird that like it's Steve Gutenberg and the gang didn't like get together like make one of these by now? Well, also, Blu-ray, not in the United States. It's, it's only a, you have to get a UK box set for it. Yeah, like, that's so a, wild. The UK is also the one country that laughs. Yeah. <laughs> There's no joke there. That's just actual fact. Yes, yes, of course. Oh, huh. uh, so number nine, the World Music Awards on ABC, and number 10, 48 hours on CBS. So a lot of news, news and sports this week for the television. Did the Bulls uh, win? Uh, the Bulls do win. This is their yes. Nineties Bulls. I assume they won. Yes. <laughs> they will. They will go on to uh, play Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. We'll have those ratings for you coming Barkley up. Barkley v Jordan. Barkley v Jordan. And Pippen and Marley, AJ, <laughs> BJ Armstrong, Horace Grant. Those old days. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah. Well, that's coming. That's a couple years. <laughs> boom shakalaka. Boom. Boom, Chocolaro. 
Uh, all right. So <laughs> no segue again. We're just going to nope. go to a movie playing in one theater. On fire. <laughs> another one. So total today of theaters, movies have played in two. Uh, <laughs> the music of chance. It's called the city of the world. Everything in it happens at once. Two total strangers. Pick you up on the road, you look half dead, you tell me this wild story. Why the hell should I believe a word of it? Destiny drew them together. I gotta see what you can do with my own eyes. Hey, no problem, partner. I'll show you my stuff. You'll be so impressed your mouth will drop open. I'll make your eyes fall out of your head. It's crazy. Fate made them friends. We can't have no uninvited guests sneaking through the gates. We got an invitation. Now, I don't know who's responsible for it, but he's one hell of a little poker player. Together, they'll discover. What makes you think anything's going to be different this time? We took lessons. That life is a game of chance. <laughs> a full house. What can you do to answer that, Jack? Nobody looks like we have to walk home. But nobody plays by the rules. I told you before it was a mistake to trust these guys. We let them leave and never pay us back. What is this, some kind of a prank? Anything like that can seriously hamper a man's ability to express himself. Does have a way of adjusting focus, don't it? James Spader, Mandy Patinkin, Charles Durning, Joel Gray, and M. Emmett Walsh. A dark tale of destiny and revenge. A film by Philip Hodge. The Music of Chance. Directed by Philip Haas, written by Philip Haas and Belinda Haas, based on a novel by Paul Astor, Oster, uh, starring James Spader, Mandy Patinkin, M. Emmett Walsh, Charles Durding, Joel Gray, Samantha Mathis, and Christopher Penn. This is a thrill seeker agrees to help a shady professional gambler win a high stakes poker game. However, they lose and become captives of two eccentric rich men who decide forcibly to keep them on their remote gated ranch as indentured servants. Another blind one for me. I've never seen the music of chance going into this. This was a hard movie to find. And then right when we're going to do this uh, shows up on the Roku channel. So it's a VHS rip too. So clearly in the four by three ratio. that um, was. <laughs> Boom mics everywhere. Yes. So Scott, what do you think of the music of chance? I thought it was a. F- I mean, you know, it's 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 an interesting time capsule. It's it's a it's it's basically a long form conversational piece, especially maybe for the first half of the film until the quote unquote inciting incident, which is they lose several hands at cards. James Spader is very good playing a somewhat James Spadery character, although not quite as slimy this time around, more nebbishy and just sort of troublemaking. I, I don't um, he's playing a Steve Buscemi character. Yes, that's actually. Yes. I I have to say with this, like Spader's like damn near unrecognizable, not just visually, but voice and his cadence of the way he speaks is very not Spaderish <laughs> to me. Like I looked away from the screen a couple of times and I was thinking I was hearing Steve Buscemi. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. This is a really interesting. Like if you're a Spader fan and you haven't seen this one, like this is a really unique one for me. This is like, for the Spader completists. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it's. 
I think the first half is stronger than the second, just because I think there's a lot of rising tension, and especially if you don't, if you didn't read the plot synopsis at a time, ha ha ha. But I think the second half is fine, but it kind of just sort of like, well, this is a little strange, but okay, I'll go mm-hmm. with this. Mandy Batankin is is sort of the straight man of the two, and that's fine. It just it's an acting treat for me, yeah. plain and simple. Other than that, it didn't do much for me. It's a very small picture with small ambitions with a, you know, five or six really strong actors, and that's about it. I mean, it's based on a novel, but I'm shocked it wasn't based on a play. Right. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And speaking with the music of chance, was that just did you like pull out five balls from one uh <laughs> each slot to pick a title? <laughs> But anyway, I, I, it's it's worth seeing if you are fans of the cast. It is a good movie, but it's not, it is not an essential picture unless you want to see somewhat offbeat James Spader work and Manny Batekin is a straight man in a, a very low-key and somewhat stiff upper lippy melodrama. Gotcha, Aaron. Uh, I thought this movie was kind of great. Uh, I didn't know what I was expecting. I didn't read the synopsis or anything. All I knew was Patinkin and, and Spader, the dream team I've been waiting for in a movie. So I, <laughs> I, I, um, I like, I, I see, I hear what Scott's saying. I like the first half as well, as far mm-hmm. as, yes, obviously it's building up to something and there's more just at stake and you got Durning and Joel Gray in there as well. So it's like, there's a lot of fun stuff here, but like what I liked about the second half, why it kind of put me over the top for it is, it suddenly I it dawned to me is like, oh, this is an allegory. <laughs> like this isn't like a it's not just like a story anymore. It's like, oh, it's actually going for something else. And I rather appreciated that, uh, mainly because I just didn't see that coming. Uh, but also I found it I, I enjoyed the kind of try not to try to be vague about like where it goes. I, I liked what it was I liked where it was going. I liked what it aimed for. I liked how the characters progressed in a way that I just I I didn't have a clue as to what was going to be occurring. And then when things did, it kind of clicked in a way where it was like, oh, okay. And I, you know, throughout that, as, as Scott, once again, was saying, like, yeah, you, in the meantime, you get all these great actors. You get a lot of M.M. at Walsh, who I always like seeing in mm-hmm. movies. Uh, like, the performances here, I think, are all top-notch. And even, like, the, you know, the, the you mentioned that could be a play. It's like, yeah, it could. I'm sure it could be a stage play. But at the same time, the cinematic quality of seeing... The, what the work they're doing is leading to, I did find that to be interesting. I did find that to be something that had a little bit of heft to it as far as, you know, not just being told, like, this is what they're doing now, but, like, seeing them actually do the work and what that work is leading to. This would have a lot of differences if there were Black actors involved in this, but um, it doesn't, so it doesn't matter um, as far as being indentured servants to rich white people. Um, but that would make me curious as to what it would be like if you filmed a movie like this today, because you probably would change things around. You could probably have a lot of fun with how you would cast that, actually, thinking about that. Spader is very good here. But Tinkin, um, I like. I will say this. I I don't know him from stage. I don't know him from, what was he on, Chicago Hope? Is that the show he was on? Um, yes. Uh, yeah. So my main my main like touch points with Manny Patinkin are either Homeland with a big bushy beard or when he's really young as an Eagle Montoya. So like yeah. this nineties period, 90s, mid 2000s period in between that, I'm like pretty blind on Patinkin. So every time I see him, there's not enough familiarity I have with him. So he just seems like this guy with a really like sharp face. 
He has this really mm-hmm. angular chin, especially when he's beardless. He has this really angular chin, and I just never know if I can trust him. And so, like watching him here, it's just it's all he's always fascinating to me in that mode because I don't know what to expect from him. And he's obviously a very accomplished actor, let alone singer. So it's like I I like that I have a bit of mystery about Mandy Patinkin when I see him and things like this, where it's like I don't know where this guy's going. Uh, but no, I, I really yeah. I was surprised how much I was into this movie. I was like, this is good one plays I just did not expect. I I I quite enjoyed it. This was he was Criminal Minds too, wasn't he? Yeah, that, the first yeah, okay, two okay. seasons of Criminal Minds. And he had like he famously left it like. Yeah, he just he yeah. didn't like the subject matter. Yeah. But let me yeah. tell you, he was a motherfucking son of a bitch in Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland. <laughs> okay. <laughs> huh. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of like with Aaron here. This was like a fun movie to watch just because the, the joy of just not knowing where it's going. I, I think I, I'm with Scott second first half stronger because there's the air of uncertainty and you kind of think it's going to be this movie where they're going to be stuck in this house negotiating their way out the whole time or trying to figure that out. I thought it'd be like a grifter movie for a while. Or something, yeah. like then it wasn't that at all. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's at first I saw that, but when they spent so much time in that house and establishing the geography and all that stuff there and leaving rooms, I was like, okay, this is going to be figuring out some way to get out of here with all these guys talking through it and stuff, but it, it ends up going somewhere completely different. But yeah, Spader's, Spader's great here. Joel Gray is kind of delicious as an evil rich guy. And it just, like, I, this is kind of the, like, bread and butter, uh, you know, indies drama, like, indie drama you'd get all the time back in the 90s. And this would, I, I was thinking perfectly, like, I could imagine, like, tonight on Cinemax, we have Water for, like, Water for Chocolate, followed by the music of Chance. Like, this is, like, the type of stuff they were buying up. Like, they couldn't get a lot of the big A title, and then like at late night, Pumpkinhead 2 would be on after them. This would that'd be like the lineup for a Cinemax night, but it plays with limited locations very well, uh, location very well, like singular location, and I, yeah, it was just kind of, it bopped really well for me, and I, I did enjoy it uh, quite a bit. It was a nice surprise. Like, I kind of, I looked at it, you know, you see the cast, you kind of see like the, the vibe is, uh, of of it right away you're like i think i might enjoy this if they they're all right and they i did it, it, i don't think it's fan like fantastic but like it's quite enjoyable it's very very good it's a um, sneaky little gem yeah sneaky little gem i would say yeah definitely another hidden hidden movie we have this week that's the the uh the hidden gems week here on summer day three at 30 but yeah yep. mm at walsh he's a you're like, see a son of a bitch, or is he just like kind of like ignorant, like That's whatever? That's the magic you know? of like, Walsh. He can, yeah. do, he can do all of that in, like, one role, in one role. Sometimes you're evil in movies, and sometimes I just want to give you a big hug, but I don't know where you're at here for most of it. And then, like, what, uh, Mandy Patinkin has the drive my car car, I think, through some of yes, this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of nifty. Uh, but yeah, he's inter- it's it, yeah, it's interesting to see him such a straight man here, and he's so. It's with so an accent. Yeah. Very much doing the accent. <laughs> yeah. And it's so it's so funny we with like when it comes to show like you're gonna um you're gonna have to sit and work on this, build this wall and shit till you pay us off and it's gonna be fifty days. And he's like, All right, um, can I just call my sister? Cause I'm supposed to be there in a couple weeks and she's gonna wanna no. Uh, oh <laughs> okay. But he's all like, Okay, this is what we do. Like so but I mean, he's living this weird life where he's recently divorced and like just going on a joyride. He picks up this grift, like this guy who's like a 
poker swindler. Um, he gets kind of involved. I do like when he plays with Spader and they use the post-it notes for poker chips or whatever. That's fun. That's a fun little uh, touch to it. But yeah, and like Scott, stunned it wasn't a play. Like absolutely <laughs> stunned. Like I was like, what play was this? But nope, no play. If I if I had more time to like research this because I'm curious about the title as well, and then like the fact that again the movie's like an allegory. I'm curious if there's some like I don't know some association with something I'm just not aware of as far as, I don't know, some kind of religion. I remember them talking about like a jazz bar at the beginning or something where he ran from. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, is that where the music? Because he got kicked out of a musical place and he took a chance. I like, I was trying to put that together, but yeah. 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 But yeah, oh, this was a, a nice little find. And uh, while this has the music of chance, the, uh, but we do have music to talk about for Casey Kasem's Top 40 this week. For the Top 10, um, again, Janet Jackson, that's the way love goes. It's the way this goes every week. Uh, Freak Me by Silk Holding On, number two. Number three, the same, Knocking to Boots by H-Town. Number four, Week by SWV. Again, number five, Love Is by Vanessa Williams and Brian McKnight. We have a little swapper at six and seven. Number six is now I'm So Into You by SWV. And number seven is now Looking Through Patient Eyes by PM Don. SWV dominating the case of case of top 10. Uh, number eight, Show Me Love by Robin S. And number nine, we have Have I Told You Lately by Rod Stewart. Scott, <laughs> big fan. And uh, number 10. You fill my heart with gladness. You take away all my sadness. Ease my troubles. That's what you do. Okay. And we're back. All right. Number 10. Scott, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? It's Bad Boys by Inner Circle. It's Bad Boys by Inner Circle. Uh, Yeah. Free cops using it. This is where it put itself on notice. Pre cops, bad boys, pre bad boys. Yeah, did they have a another hit too? Inner Circle what was. Hmm, I'll have to think of that. I thought they had like there wasn't just bad boys. They had another little hit song around that time. But thriller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, thrill boys, thrill boys. Okay, so uh, moving on from the top ten, uh, we go to life with. Mikey from Touchstone Pictures. Michael J. Fox is back. I'm something of a celebrity. So what? He's a smooth-talking children's talent agent. This kid is unbelievable. Who's the troll? Who's finally met his match? You found a little girl with some spirit. Find the chimney and shove yourself. Right. Oh, did you check her head with a little six-six-six? Michael J. Fox. There was only two sixes. We got her just in time. <laughs> Life with Mikey. This film is not yet rated. Starts Friday, June fourth, at a theater near you directed by james lapine written by mark lawrence starring michael j fox christina vidal nathan lane Cindy lopper david crumholtz victor garber christine baranski and there's a cameo by mandy patankin in this movie so he's here twice yes. he's here twice this week a once popular actor who now runs a talent agency specializing in child acts is trying to discover the next star he gets more than he bargained for when he recruits a child pickpocket. I 
have seen this movie before this week. So there's one here I saw, not in the theater, but I remember seeing the trailer a lot uh, back in 1993. And uh, I was like, oh, is that like the... Because Mikey was the guy who ate the life cereal, right? That was the the big thing. He yeah, he likes it. Uh, we get the the introduction of David Crumholtz, all this stuff. Aaron, Life with Mikey. Uh, this is a movie that I've certainly seen clips of on like WGN uh, over time. I don't think I've ever mm-hmm. watched it like back to front to back uh, in full. Um, I am, though, intrigued by a movie that depends on David Crumholtz to save the day. Um, <laughs> that's pretty cinematic debut of David Crumholtz. Um, he did that like for six years on CBS. That's uh, <laughs> true. Yeah, but this this didn't even require require numbers. He was just hanging out, just being a, a gifted actor that they should have listened to. That's the takeaway I had. Yes, uh, I I can't say this movie's like it's certainly not great. It's barely good. It's fine. Like it's a very standard, you know, it's touchstone, right? Very standard, like you know, Disney ish movie that has a very easy message. Does exactly the things that it kind of needs to do to get to like the moment of you know, of sweetness and shit where it's like, okay, like here's the lesson we all take away from it. And now we're all better people because of it. Like the thing that obviously is going to win you over is Michael J. Fox. Cause he's Michael mm-hmm. J. Fox. Very likable personality is very fun uh, to just hang around with in a movie for 90 minutes. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's the perfect kind of nineties for Nathan Lane. Who's in the exact kind of role that you'd expect Nathan Lane in the nineties to be right outside the birdcage where he's just like best friend slash work coworker character who, says things like i can't believe you got you didn't get the interview and like it's it's just a very rote role it has nothing to offer besides well it's nathan lane so he'll just make the deliveries work i guess uh christina vidal um she's good here i mean it's a good find uh, given the theme of the movie um she and jay and fox you know have good chemistry or whatnot um, I liked Ruben Blades popping in towards the end. That was fun because I like Ruben Blades quite a bit. So that was great to see. <laughs> There's nothing really here. Now, this is coming uh, after I've seen um, the Michael J. Fox documentary that played at Sundance, which is really good. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> it was neat to be like, oh, let me watch one of these like throwaway Fox roles that he had <laughs> after seeing this compelling film about how he uh, became a superstar and then had to struggle with Parkinson's. Uh, but like, so seeing like basically Michael J. Fox in his post Back to the Future Prime, again, he's he's a very likable actor. So it's hard to like hate a movie like this because there's too much charm mm-hmm. off the screen. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's not much here. <laughs> it's Life of Mikey. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I I'm with you there. It was it was kind of weird. It was like they were doing stuff and didn't realize that there was like meat in areas. Like there's this whole like him being like a father to her, but they don't really dive into it. There's like a teacher. It's like, hey, like you're not her dad, or so like trying to point out like he's not taking certain responsibilities if he's wanting to be in that role, and they don't really follow through. There's stuff with him and Nathan Lane's like his brother, right? I don't know or something. <laughs> And it, it's just kind of tinking around. Like uh, it doesn't even have fun with like the the shoots that like they should. There should be some fun commercial weird stuff where it, constantly there should be a lot more of that. But and showing their set build relationship and um and more stuff with his like I don't know past self. Like there should I don't know there there's 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 a good story to be told with this that's not here and touched upon in points 
and Michael J. Fox can only carry it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like Cindy Lauper here. Yeah. <laughs> plus for that, but like wow, I didn't realize you could just swap her and Annie Potts and get like the same <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> like she's blonde Annie Potts in this movie. And uh oh, oh Disney. Look at you, uh this is a touchstone picture, so it's Disney. Look look at you uh sneaking songs from uh, a tune from Song of the South in there, huh? There you go. <laughs> look at you. Look at you sneaking in there. Scott, what did you think of Life with Mikey? Uh, obviously, it's a very paint-by-numbers studio picture of its time. I did appreciate, and especially in the early moments, where it was basically a spot of stars. Like, hey, look, it's Christine Berensky with, like, no lines. And, hey, look, it's Victor Garber with, like, one line. And, oh, it's Annabella Gerwich. Okay, neat. A lot of people that were on break from their stage performances. Yes. Uh-huh. And, you know, I... I, I Yes, Back to the Future was a, you know, was a giant hit, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, for me, Michael J. Foss was never that much of a quote unquote movie star. And this was during the area where he, he commercially, especially, kind of floundered between Back to the Future and when he sort of came back to TV with Spin City, which was a terrific show. And that mm-hmm. ran for several years. Uh, I think, unfortunately, he left because of Parkinson's and Charlie Sheen took over for a few years. I mean, so when, this was when I say superstar. I think of him like, he was certainly like everybody knew Michael J. Fox. Oh, right. Yes, his movies were born. Yeah, I I know. Like his movies were, you know, that and what Secret of Mice exists and yeah, like they weren't Doc Hollywood. They weren't doing like great numbers, but like he was a he, he's a guy. He was a guy. Yeah, like Michael J. Fox. He's in he's, he was a, he was an A list star with like whatever movies outside of because a lot more people watched the same TV back then too. He was like he yeah. had, he had gone too big in television that he needed to be that movie star, and he had Back to the Future that was great. But like I don't know, they it put him on like a Tom Cruise kind of route, but Tom Cruise did a lot better. Like it kind of feels like. <laughs> Because Cruz has been terrified he, in this film. He <laughs> made like good, you know, good rapport with like directors and filmmakers or whatnot. Where Michael well, J. Fox, I wouldn't say I don't. Tom think Cruise was... had Jerry Maguire. That was his life with Mike. Yeah. So. Well, Tom Cruise is the the rare mix of he can do whatever and make it work, and it's probably generally pretty good. Yeah. Where Fox is like he's he's getting he's getting lead roles, like, but he's not a guy that seemed to be like looking for you know marquee directors to work with. It's just more like yeah, I'll mm-hmm. I can do my charming Fox thing and make this work, and that's you know. Um, yeah, he rolls on through here. But like yeah, as, as far as the movie, it's fine. I think you're right, Brandon, that it's there are times where it wants to be slightly more serious or at least more self-aware than it actually is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the guy that plays her father, he's barely, you know, he shows up for the third act. It's like it's a completely compelling and, and right. nuanced dramatic performance that seems like it's an entire, you know, this is even criticism or not. It's like it's, it feels like it's an entirely different movie. And the young uh, Christine Vidal is very good. And again, you know, for what it's worth, I thought, oh, this is nice. They cast a non-white young actress and nobody gave a shit because this was 1993 and that was fine. Nobody cared. It was, that's nice. Again, you know, when films were cheap enough, et cetera, et cetera, you could do that without the internet going crazy, except the internet did not exist then. You get my idea. Um, but no, as a movie, it feels very Mad Libs, very formulaic, very, you know where this is going, and there's really not much conflict, yeah. uh, even by the standards of you know a PG-rated kids comedy from the 90s. Again, the and stakes I, are, we need David Crumholtz to save us. <laughs> yes. And it's weird yeah. that they sort of gloss over the whole, oh yeah, my dad's friend stole a $225,000 check from me and took off. 
Like, oh, that that's that 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 call the police. You know, call the company and have them cancel the check. There are things you can do. Um, but no, it's 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 the it's inoffensive in every way. Um, it is a time capsule. It is, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, and it's on Disney Plus. Yes, you can all check out Life with Mikey all you want. Wonder if that maybe they'll make a Life with Mikey Disney Plus show, which will get canceled after one season. There you go. Uh, and you're right in that sense. I mean, you're right in that it's the kind of movie that we all kind of hoped would get made more often on Disney Plus when Disney Plus launched. And I think even Sean Bailey, you know, who runs the live action Disney department or whatever, is like, you know, I, I think at its best, Disney Plus was supposed to be a commercial justification to make movies like Alexander, The No Good, Very Bad Day, or mm-hmm. like with Mikey or McFarlane USA or what have you, just, you know, movie movies. But unfortunately, very quickly, it was just basically the only kind of movies we saw of that nature, especially after the first year, were inspirational sports dramas. And now we don't even get that. Movie movies, copyright Harry Styles, just so we can watch ourselves there. But um yeah, no, I, I get you. Yeah, that's that was the idea, but then it turned yeah, turned in Disney Plus into uh well hang on for the Star Wars show, the Marvel show, the Star Wars show, the Marvel show, the Star Wars show, the Marvel show. And then there's, there's a stuff. Pixar movie as a treat. Here's a Pixar movie as a treat. Hey, look, one of our we're not making you go to the theater for this lifeless animated remake. Enjoy Pinocchio. Um, <laughs> or don't. Right. Yeah. I mean, where's our computer work tennis shoes redo? Agreed. Give me that. Give me that. Uh, although, to be fair, Chip and Dale was awesome. Yeah. Um, that was spectacularly funny. Correct. The exception to the rule. Pretty much. True. But yeah, and so- it was funny because I'll be quick. I'm sorry, but you know, the no, first year part of this was because you know all these movies from COVID they were getting thrown on Disney Plus. But it's like for the first year, you know, they had good movies like you know the one and only Ivan and Magic Camp and uh, that dog movie with William Dafoe. The name escapes me. Um, that everybody else says was terrific. Um, it is good. What's a it lot called? Than, a lot better than Call of the Wild, that's for sure. That's probably true. So, you know, for the first year, it's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, they had Hamilton, which, again, that was supposed to be in theaters, but hey, it's on Disney Plus now. So for a while, they did have, I would argue, would be, you know, an A-level slate of films. But then, now they don't. Togo? Togo? Togo, or, thank you. Togo. It helped in COVID because everybody was ordering their food, Togo. So that's why we I was about got... to say, even after the crappy sandwich shop. Yeah. But, well, yeah. what are we disparaging Togo's for? Like, subway bad. No, it isn't. There was a period in my life where it's like I worked in Burbank, I lived in Woodland Hills, and I had stuff in Hollywood sometimes. And like, the only thing I had time to grab that was convenient was Togo, and I hated it because it wasn't as good as Subway, it wasn't good as Quiznos. Quiznos is gone, right? There's no, no yet Togo li- Togo's lives. We used they to have exist. that on the corner at IQC, Scott. Life hey, is unfair. I, I got tired of Quiznos real fast. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so uh, as we move from Life with Mikey, we're going to take a, take a quick break and have a Life with Yancey as we go to our favorite thing, Yancey's Tales from the Video Store. 
word for a Pond Video's anniversary sale. Come to any one of their three locations in Windsor and check out the fantastic selection. Applause Video has fantastic prices. Here's the proof. Right now, you can rent your favorite movie for only $2.49 a day, including Saturdays. Your first choice for Christmas gifts at last should be a movie from Applause Video. There are almost 1,000 titles in stock waiting for you. Applause Video has Windsor's largest rental selection, and it's a Windsor-owned and operated business. Check out their anniversary sale now. So this is not my story personally, but one of my uh, friends, growing, he worked at Blockbuster Video. So growing up for Wayne, big movie was shot there at the time called In the Company of Men by Neil LeBute. Uh, it starred Aaron Eckhart. It was, a, I think it won Sundance, maybe something like that, but it was a big deal. Shot in Fort Wayne. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so Neil LeBute lived around Fort Wayne for a while, um, a- even after the success. And he would come into Blockbuster Video all the time. And my friend said he was the most annoying dude there. Um, he would come up and he'd be like, can I get your card, Blockbuster card, please? He goes, come on, man. He's like, no, I need, I, I need you. He's like, you know who I am. He's like, yeah, oh, and, I, and I need to scan your card because that's how <laughs> we get it in the computer. But he said one time uh, in like one of those pages where uh, in Entertainment Weekly where they'd have like multiple pictures of like premieres with little captions. He was in yeah, yeah. One, he was in one of them, came in the day the magazine went on the rack and just stood around the store for hours hoping for someone to like pick it up and be like, wow. And he did that. And he's like, he was just a nuisance inside the blockbuster there. Wow. Okay, our next film, our big headliner for this week is Guilty as Sin. From Hollywood Pictures, I did not murder anybody. The moment she took his case. That's funny, I actually believe you. I guess I got me an attorney. He took control. Everybody knows we're lovers. Why is he inventing things about me? And whether she wins or loses. Frankly, I'm beginning to tire of you. Is whether she lives or dies. Rebecca De Mornay. He can take me down. Don Johnson. Like that. Guilty as sin. This film is not yet rated. It starts Friday, June 4th. Directed by Sidney Lumet. Uh, written by Larry Cohen. And starring Rebecca De Mornay, Don Johnson, Stephen Lang, looking fabulous in this movie. Jack Warden, Dana Ivey, and Louise Guzman makes a small appearance. This one is about a female lawyer who takes an accused wife murderer as a client, but finds herself morally compelled to betray him one way or another. I'm gonna get you, get you, get you, get you, Don J. Or another. Scott, what'd you think of Guilty as Sin? It might be Cillian Lamette's worst movie. <laughs> and I mean, I very much like most of his films. I mean, I think that Night Falls on Manhattan, Q&A, Prince in the City, The Verdict. I think those are Find me guilty. <laughs> hey, he's what a, what Diesel's a weird selection of Cindy Lamette films to choose as like the superior entries. <laughs> Well, you didn't like those? Those are your uh, go-to Cindy LeBette movies? Well, turn, yeah, yeah, you know, I sort of think of him as the guy that does, you know, big city politics and corrupt, you know, and, and all that jazz. That was Bob Fast, Bob Scott. Yes, he also did Scott. stuff like, you know. We leaped, we leaped to that joke. <laughs> <laughs> really? Bossy! Something, something, the whiz. But no, this, this, 
You know, I'm always talking about how when you, I watch all movies and I get like weirdly depressed because they're so much like bigger in scope and size and scale than what we're used to now. Mm-hmm. This is not that. <laughs> I was shocked by how claustrophobic this picture felt. This is another one that I know it's not based on a play, but it could have been. You know, it's basically Rebecca De Mornay and John Johnson having awkward, uncomfortable somewhat salacious even though usually it's one-sided conversations about nothing in particular and that's basically the movie in a nutshell there's no real drama there's no real sense of the law at work in this legal thriller don johnson is fine in the film but he's so over the top villainous that even by the standards of you know nobody believes women when they say bad things are happening standards it is implausible they could keep getting away with this kind of targeted harassment you know, especially when, you know, she works for this big, rich company that probably doesn't want to have to deal with this. So even if she couldn't fight him off, they probably could. The film has very little in the sense of scale and scope and grandeur. There are almost no major supporting characters of note. It's a weirdly small picture. And as far as being an erotic thriller, I mean, not really, because again, it's pretty one-sided. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's It makes Sliver look like Basic Instinct. Yeah, yeah. This is no disclosure here. Um, yeah, that's that one's fun. Yeah, no, this one they, I don't know. Don Johnson's good at the when we don't know what he's done, and right in the at the turn point. But yeah, it does get that way. I I will give this movie. It had a hell of a stunt in the finale. Yes, uh, when she jumps off the balcony with him, I was like, oh shit, that is two real people falling down and then they had the when he hits there's this like splatter of blood that comes out it's kind of weird and i don't know what was with it was on hoopla where i watched it but like aaron and i we were talking a little bit but like it looked like it was playing at a high frame rate yeah it was weird it was weird i don't know if it was shot it sometimes you'll catch that in in 90s pictures or like for like 10 seconds it looks like it feels like it's sped up no the whole movie the whole movie felt weird it felt like motion smoothing was on it's like i definitely don't have that on my tv because yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was really weird uh stephen lang is like funny in here because you don't realize it's stephen lang for the first few seconds you see him yeah who's this fellow with the jufro and i'm like oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah but this is kind of movie like I, i don't know like this was like not to bring him up again, but like Cinemax was like all could have had their hands on it. So somebody outbid them. So it became a classier movie type thing. Um, I don't think Rebecca De Mornay is all that great in this. Like, That's I not a surprise. I feel like with Sorry. <laughs> I don't, yeah, with a stronger like lead there, like this maybe is a better movie, but there's there's like nothing. It's like built up like there's going to be some sort of like a fair thing being a problem and then he pulls stuff on her but like there's nothing like he wants to but there's like nothing there and then i i i I, on paper i like a lot of what this is about like this person who's like is this guy guilty like and he plays off her confidence and then like oh guess what i confess but you can't do shit about it you have to defend me you have to and there's her like trying to like plant stuff on him and stuff with Jack War- Jack Warden, the, the PI. Uh, but yeah, it, ultimately it's just kind of a snooze fest for me. Like there, there's some nifty pulpy stuff that Johnson tries to pull here by like skizing himself in places and her seeing him in areas. But I don't know. It's 
don't know. Was it like I wanted this to work? It doesn't. Aaron. It feels like Cindy Lumet like had like a different person cast for every role except Jack Warden, and mm-hmm. then like every single one of them fell through, and so he got the fifth choice for every single person he initially cast, and that's like the movie we got here. And it's a shame because I do think there's a way to do this that you can make it work and be more compelling, but that's not evident based on these performances, which range from fine to eh, sleepy, sleepy time. Um, and then like, <laughs> a script that doesn't have the verve or wit that I could see in other Sidney Lumet legal dramas. I mean, there's, there's a way to do this where even if it's obvious how it's going to play out, you can still get away with a lot just based off dialogue and inflections and choices. And I don't know if Lamette was just, you know, doing one to write off on the taxes or whatever, but it just seems like he's not present here. I mean, this is a man who mm-hmm. in his eighties gave us before the devil knows you're dead, which is the most exciting thriller I saw <laughs> that, that year. So it's like, it's not yeah. like he lost it. <laughs> he knows how to do this. He knows how to make a thriller. He knows how to make a courtroom drama. But neither of the those genres work well here in a way that feels anything memorable. Um, I agree that the ending goes there in a way where I'm like, well, that's cool. Um, I did not see that coming as far as the, oh, both. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's just not a lot here beyond the, I don't know, the 12 Angry Men reunion with him and Jack Warden, where it's like, I appreciate that. That's fun. You know, get him back in here. But yeah, it's it's kind of a nothing burger of a movie. Um, not worse than Sliver, though. That's ridiculous. That movie's terrible. <laughs> not what? Not worse than Sliver. That's, that's people at least had <laughs> people at least had sex in Sliver. Sliver, Sliver at least has production values and, and scale and, and multiple characters. And I'm not going to be Philip Noyce about this one. It's it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> they're both bad. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> they both they both they both rule shit piles. <laughs> <laughs> um. And like, and so this is what so Don Johnson, he's just kind of around at this point, right? It's like Miami Vice is over, so he's just Harley kind of like, Davidson, Marlboro Man, is that around right this time? Yeah, it's kind of it's close. Yeah. And yeah. Rebecca De Mornay is coming off of what hand the rocks to cradle. Uh-huh. Like when you can't get Sharon Stone, you get Rebecca De Mornay in that kind of role. Pretty so, much. Yeah. At that point. So No, she just signed up for something called Sliver. All right. <laughs> Guilty as sin. <laughs> Guilty as yeah. This is a movie. I'm like, this is a okay. Don Johnson and all, and like, yeah. This is his like. What are you gonna do post Miami Vice phase? Where there's yeah. It's, and then he takes Nash Bridges. I, I would argue he's another example of a huge TV star that di- I don't want to say didn't couldn't cut it, but just didn't really mesh as a movie star. And yeah. then he went back to TV and found fortune and glory again. He he morphed it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, no, he Caruso'd it. Sorry. Yeah, Caruso. Caruso yeah. Strong David. <laughs> Caruso'd it. And, you know, as, as much as we tend to, and I've done this too, you know, throwing out Caruso as sort of an example of somebody that, ha ha ha, he left a TV show and tried to be a movie star and it didn't happen. It's like, yeah, but he made like a billion dollars in CSI Miami residual, residuals. So I think he's doing okay. Yeah. Hey, he's great um, if he's in an ensemble. Like, I mean, yeah. we, in recent years, we've had him with Django Unchained and Knives Out, and he's been terrific there well, he's, a, he's a big he's a good elder statesman actor yeah yes this happens the most mediocre white men <laughs> 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 right 
Yeah, like he he's he's quite strong here, like in the opening act and stuff, and then he starts digging in too much. Uh, with I, yes, yeah. I agree because I think because like, the he's got the like, womanizer thing down. When he's just like this innocent womanizer, it's he's actually yes. ter- he's outstanding. Because and you then, don't know what he's up to. Like yeah. it's just like I don't know this guy. This is new to me as far as Johnson trying to do this sort of thing. It's weird. It's a little like off putting, but different. So like I, but yeah, then it's just like there's no other card to play beyond more sinister. Yeah, yeah, Hannibal Lecter outside of the cage. It tips its hand very quickly and has nowhere left to go. And I I think like a smarter script or just more nuanced performances could make that work. But this movie doesn't. Like it just doesn't have anywhere to go beyond spinning in circles, being like, "Yep, you still you're still stuck with me, lady." And like, and and again, even if no one, you know, even if she finds herself another unable to get away from this guy. You know, his behavior is so obviously and pointedly, you know, illegal, immoral, blah, 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 that you think the rich white guys that she works for, whose firm it is and who might be on the hook for whatever crap he does, would be willing to kick his ass to the curb. Mm -hmm. Well, the judge makes her stay on the case. (laughs) Like, I don't care, woman. I am a woman. (laughs) Like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not not interesting. Not good. Um, not even. There's no curious part of it. There's no like, oh, well, there's this scene or this performance. It's it's a dud. This it is it is. Is it is. Uh, but uh, how did it fare at the box office, Scott? As we head on, also into- a dud. Also a dud. <laughs> the weekend of June sixth, excuse me, June fourth, through. Let me close all these other doors. Right, here we go. This is where Super Mario Brothers makes its uh its money back. <laughs> this is where Cliffhanger it's was number on. one again, dropping twenty five percent for twelve million dollars. It had thirty seven and change after ten days. It would eventually earn eighty four domestic. Made in America. Uh, according to this, didn't drop at all. That yeah, no it, sense. Yeah, well, it was a seven point four eight three. No, because none of these are dropping. So this is something's wrong with this chart. I've got. Oh, let me see weekend estimates. No. Movie just made that. I'm old enough to remember what you could trust box office mojo for this kind of thing. Hmm. Um, you're on the numbers. I should be on the number. I'm going to the numbers right now. I don't, I don't even go to box office mojo anymore. <laughs> it's it's old habit. I removed it from my it's favorite reflex. That's what I should have done. Scott. Uh, he can't quit you. Um, wow, accurate numbers. What do you know? Cliffhanger did $12 million, dropping 41% for $37 million in 10 days. Made in America would drop by about a third with $7.5 million for a $21.5 million 10-day total. Guilty of Sin was the top new opener, opening with just $5.7 million on about 1,000 screens. It would top out pretty quickly, ending up with just $22.6 million domestic. Make the sequel. Make the sequel. <laughs> Legacy sequel slash streaming show. Let's see. Uh, Dave was still number four after all these weeks, uh, dropping forty six percent after Memorial Day weekend. Four point eight million for forty seven million and change after a month in theaters. Uh, Hot Shots Part Two earned four point four minus forty six. Super Mario Brothers would drop by fifty percent, which bad. But could have been worse considering it was a holiday weekend. We're coming off a holiday weekend. A Life with Mikey earned just $3.6 million in its opening weekend. Uh, it would eventually top out at approximately $12.5 million. 
Um, more, yeah. people, more people <laughs> wanted to see Mario in week two than life with Mikey. Again, not you know, not to be a dick about it, but Michael J. Fox was not a butts and seats movie star. You know, this was a big conversation back in the nineties. I remember it. What did it open with? Three point what? Three point six million dollars. <laughs> It'd be funny if he said the total would end up being two points up. Like somehow it went down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number eight was Sliver. Uh, it had $28 million after 17 days. Menace to Society went down just 14%, adding 49 theaters for a $9 million 10-day total. And Indecent Proposal at $96 million at the end of its ninth weekend with a $2 million nine-weekend gross. And uh, other than that, here's a fun trivia bit. Unforgiven from summer 1992 and a few good men from December 1992 are still in the top 15. (laughs) Oh, wow. For that matter, and I'm assuring there's some Oscar shenanigans involved, Howard's End, which opened a year and a, you know, 65 weeks ago is in 60 is, is in 16th place. It's incredible. That opened in April of 19, or excuse me, March of 1992. We are in June of 1993, and it is 16th place the weekend box office. Movies. <laughs> the movies. The movies. The movies. Wow. Excellent. Oh, well, that's a nifty little box office run there. Uh, I think something big is going to happen next week for it. Cliffhanger might not be hanging on any longer. Um, Top and a half is still around. Oh, good old Bert. Yep. We love love the Reynolds man. Uh, Next week, I think, is. have you seen Jurassic Park? Nope. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I've heard good things. I mean, it probably won't measure up to Carnosaur, but what does? Or Mario. Or Mario. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, The third dinosaur movie this summer. summer. That's going to be a problem. (laughs) <laughs> all right but uh so yeah until that uh weekday this will complete june 4 through 6 so uh until then aaron where can people keep up with your hijinks um i host the podcast out now with aaron and abe my friend abe we talk about the weekly movie releases and we do a commentary every month i write for we live entertainment.com for my movie reviews and why so blue for blu-ray and criterion reviews and on twitter aaron's ps4 everything happens at my blog the everything i do winds up over there as well all right scott uh, the rap.com and at Scott Mendelson on Twitter. All right. Uh, next week. Uh, oh, well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon Forky UHD, written worker whysoblue.com. Next week, uh, we have uh, Tilda Swinton playing two genders. Uh, Matthew Modine finds his equinox. Uh, we do a, we have a romp and stomp a good time with Russell Crowe and uh, Steven Spielberg. Welcomes us to Jurassic Park. That's uh, the June 11th through 13th week weekend. But there will not be dino chases with motorcycles in that one. Just saying. <laughs> not happening. Baby steps. Not happening. Uh, but until then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. 
Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.